And praise the Lord, everybody. We have come tonight to give honor to the Lord and to talk about this great oneness message. So why don't we lift our voices and ask God to anoint His Word and help us to put our focus on Him tonight. Father, we thank You for this awesome crowd, this wonderful people that have gathered here tonight. Pray for the anointing of the Spirit upon us right now, that Your glory would be manifest in this place, and that we could consider tonight, Lord, the awesome ways of God. And we give You praise in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. We're welcoming you and are so thankful that you've come to Steadfast 2005. Tonight, I am to consider non-Nicene interpretations of Godhead Scriptures. I was invited a few days ago, really to my surprise, to receive a call from the largest Trinitarian denomination in the world to come to their largest seminary, the largest Pentecostal seminary in the world, and to teach on the oneness of God. I, I never thought that would ever happen, but I'm here thankful that God opens doors. So there was one thing for sure, it was not going to be a dialogue where we would be compromising between each other or trying to find paths where we could all uh, skirt the Scripture. But in fact, uh, I said, are you sure you want me to teach for four hours on the Godhead? And they said, yes, we do. We want you to come. And here's how they did it. So we're going to use this tonight, but when he said use that as a, as a way of, of looking at apostolic apologetics today. How many believe the truth is marching on? The Word of God is marching on. His Word is true. And He's in this place. What an awesome thing it is. You know why they're worried about Pentecostal apostolics? Because we are standing firm upon the Word of God. Our young men are not out there trying to find ways to, to uh, win friends and influence people. They are still being built upon the Word of God. They're hungry for the Word of God. And it is working. So they asked me to do this. So we're going to move quickly here. So the uh, Assemblies of God Theological Seminary sent out a, a request Quest or an invitation for me to be a guest and to speak on three subjects and then to address the faculty. Now, folks, you have to understand, having been Assembly of God and, and raised in the Church of God, my grandmother was in the Church of God for 55 years. She got the Holy Ghost in the 1920s. She was holiness. She was one of the most godly women that ever lived. But she never, ever knew about baptism in Jesus' name or understood it until she was 86 years old. She was baptized in Jesus' name when she was 86 years old and went on to her reward when she was 88 years old. She laid her hand on me as a young man and said, Thomas, God's going to use you. You're, you're, God's going to use you for His work. And I was, of course, a Trinitarian. Everything I knew about Pentecost, I, I really learned from her. And so when I got baptized in Jesus' name, I said to her, Grandma, now you, you need to be re-baptized in Jesus' name. Well, no, I was baptized. In, I was baptized. And she told me how old she was and where she was. I said, I know. That, that was wonderful. And that was the right thing to do. You did the best you knew. But now I want you to think about the fact that maybe you should consider baptism in Jesus' name. And it took many, many years. But one day, I'm going to say, God can get through to the heart. One day, out there, hole in the okra, getting, getting her garden going. The Holy Ghost spoke to her and said, you know, I, it's time for you to take on my name. And I had a friend said, well, I've just been waiting, Lord, for you to tell me how to do it. I didn't want to take a step in the wrong direction. You believe there are people out there that are looking for direction? Oh, yes! This is an exciting time! What could be more exciting? Now, at first I wondered why. Why would they ask? So I said, why have you asked? Um, and they said, well, first of all, we want to expose 
uh, our students, and they have several hundred students, we want to expose them to the oneness segment of the movement. And they also said, we respect what you are doing. We have a healthy respect for the oneness Pentecostals. And we would like to, to do this as a gesture of, of will openness and saying, we'll listen. We want to hear what you have to say. So in other words, you're not worried about losing students. You're not worried about debating. You're not worried about they might all become one. So, no, no, no. We're not, we're not the least bit worried about that. We don't have a, a rope around young people. We just want you to come. And for four hours, we want you to do this. First of all, we want you to teach on the oneness perspective on these three subjects. Hermeneutics, postmodernism, and theology. I said, I, I will do that. And uh, what time and, and where is it going to be? Because it would be an awesome thing to think that one day here I was, a part of that denomination, and the God of heaven came and gave me a revelation, an understanding that I needed to be baptized in the name of the Lord. That it was not enough that I had been sincere, that I had done the things I thought was right. But when I heard that baptism in the name of Jesus was in Scripture, I had to respond. How many believe that here tonight? So, first of all, my first lecture was this. One is Pentecostalism in the modern era. Does everybody feel good tonight? Is this all right? So we were looking at oneness Pentecostalism in the modern era. I said, am I getting this right? Are you wanting me to talk about the fact that the United Pentecostal Church is growing faster than any Trinitarian Pentecostal group in America today? That's exactly what we want you to talk about. We want to see why it is that oneness Pentecostals in an era when truth is being challenged, when they say you cannot preach holiness, that the oneness movement seems to be growing at an astounding rate. And we'd like to look at those numbers. And I said, okay, that's, that's lecture, lecture number one. Lecture number two, we're gonna, we want you to speak in our class called Biblical Theology. And I said, well, maybe we could look at Biblical Theology and how oneness Pentecostals do Biblical Theology. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to take a few moments here. How many came for the Word of God tonight? So we're going to look at contrasting a Hebraic Biblical approach, or what we might call an Old Testament approach, from a Nicene theological starting point. Because several, every, in fact, every single classroom... Students would say to me, why is it that when we take a Bible, we look at it, and we think we're seeing a baptism of Jesus, we think we're seeing a Trinity, you look at the baptism of Jesus and you say, what that's showing us is we need to be, Jesus was baptized, we need to be baptized. You're looking at something very different. You say there's a dove, and so you, you don't see that as a Trinity. What is it about? I said, there's an answer. I want to explain it to you. Does anybody here believe there's an answer why people come to a revelation of truth? So we did that, and then lecture three was the second day. This was two days, and then a, a meeting with the entire faculty. Now, and of course the second was on hermeneutics and oneness name theology. So I, they wanted to know why we insisted on baptism, and I said, well, this will help you to understand why it is that we, we never back down on this baptism question. And so in the, in the fourth session in front of the entire faculty, one of the faculty said, Thomas, I want to ask you a direct question. Do you honestly in your heart, do you believe that people must be baptized in Jesus' name? And I said, honestly from my heart, I want to tell you that I believe that everybody should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It is not an option. It is not something that we can, that we can play with. There aren't two or three baptisms. There's one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. That's what I believe. Amen. And of course, in that fourth session in the staff, they had me uh, respond in a paper to Dr. Uh, 
Young's new book, and so it's going to come up, I think. Well, there it is. Let's go on now. So we're looking here at my response. Now, I'm doing this because um, there are, of course, whenever people of different traditions meet, uh, sometimes people meet for the wrong reasons. Sometimes people of tradition will meet because they're trying to put their heads together and compromise. But I said I want it to be very clear that I was a Trinitarian. I have no desire to, to be a Trinitarian because I've made this decision in my heart. If God were to speak to me and say, become a Trinitarian, then I would become a Trinitarian. If God spoke to me today to do any, how many would obey God? How many, believe, how, how many think you can trust God? Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here. So they said, we want you to respond to Dr. Young's new book. And Dr. Young is basically saying, if I understand him correctly, that we must embrace the oneness movement because they're, they're just out there growing so fast. And, uh, and because we must now bend, Pentecostals must bend to accepting that all religions are okay. Buddhism, Judaism, Hinduism, all religions. We need to enter into dialogue with everyone and we need to, we need to Start with the oneness Pentecostals. So I responded this way. And he, he says in this, this one, Pentecostal theology. Can you see that that's a quote? Pentecostal theology, he says, can no more, no longer proceed as if oneness Pentecostalism did not exist. So my first point at the luncheon, and I was a guest and I was honored. I said, thank you. Many of them were Hebrew scholars. Many of them were Hebrew professors, mythologists, many, many good men there. Some I've known for many years. And I said, now this statement astounds me. Because surely nobody in the Assemblies of God has ever lived as though the oneness movement did not exist. How could you even think of doing such a thing? Maybe they thought it would just go away or it would just disappear. Uh, one of the old timers back years ago said, well, don't worry about it. It's going to blow over. And it blew all over this world. It is in every nation. It is all over this world. In fact, right now, we're trying to figure out just how close to 30 million Jesus name baptized people there are. I've documented 20... 4.8 million 600. In fact, yesterday I found another one. 619 oneness organizations that I know about. But how many knows that you can't, you can't keep track of this thing? Because God said, in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And this is not a day to compromise. Oh, listen, it thrills my soul to hear our young people. Can you hear me okay? It thrills my soul to hear these young people singing. Oh, yes. I hope we can get that on one of our annual recordings. Wow, get that thing anointed just like that and then, <laughs> and then put the other things in there too. I'm very thankful for our young folks that are getting a hold of this message. Hallelujah, hallelujah. No wonder. And they said, well, we are amazed. We are absolutely amazed that the United Pentecostal Church is going three times faster than some of the God. We're surprised by that. And so Dr. Young has recommended... Uh, dialogue that would lead to consensus. So I responded, and this is a quote from my paper that I gave them. So what is called for is neither dialogue leading to consensus, equal dialogue partners. Now see, that sounds like a handshake. I'm going to make you an equal partner. You mean I wasn't an equal partner before? You mean you're finally going to let me in the club and now I can be an equal partner? You see, folks, this is not about someone inviting me into the club. It can never be, be about getting into the club and it can never be about coming to consensus over false doctrine. This doctrine is not for sale. This is a message that's going to stand the test of time. 
Yes, it is. And they know it is. They know this message has captured the heart of young people. So even more significantly, and we move on, short of mere semantics, it is simply not possible. And here is what Young had suggested that we do with them. That we come to an ecumenical doctrine of God that both oneness and Trinitarians can affirm. That would take from now... (laughs) That take a long time. More time than we've got in this universe. So, here, let's go. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Now, so first of all, we began, we went into the first session talking about postmodernism. And I said, one is people are also often characterized as sort of like holy roller and, and very strict because of their holiness standards. They tend to almost always be a holiness-minded people, just like the original assemblies of God, just like my grandmother was, and uh, even before she was oneness. And I said, so we're going to begin there. And so let's talk about the growth of the movement. Now, in 1930, we know that the year before Haywood died, that we, there were at least 28 organizations. Now, this is pretty close. There may have been more, but uh, I've been researching this for some years. And, and I know of at least 28 oneness groups that within the first 15 years of the movement, they had proliferated. There were, there were African-American groups that were growing. There were Chinese groups. In 1915, the Chinese movement exploded in, in, in China. And there were literally thousands of people, hundreds at a time, were getting the Holy Ghost in China. It was happening in all, all the mission fields. And so by the time of 1930, when just before Haywood's death, there were 250,000 people that we can fairly well estimate had been baptized in Jesus' name. Some of them might say, well, that's a small beginning. But what is amazing that in the last few years, over the last 50 years or so, there has been this sort of speeding up. It's like folks have said in themselves, you know what? I'm never backing down. I'm not turning back from this. And so there's been an acceleration so that today we are looking at 25 million plus people. And so the hands were going up. Are you telling us that there are 25 million? I thought it was a drop in the bucket. I knew there were churches everywhere, but I had no idea. Yes, in next question. Well, how fast are they going? How does it compare? How many of those people are interested when they hear facts and figures? They were saying, what's happening among the oneness people? I said, I think what's happening is we are doing what we have always been doing. We are standing on the Word of God upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Now, the starting point, I said, the starting point. I didn't do it like this. But if you think I'm going to say this calm, you better, you're in a... You just missed it. Now, folks, I'm trying. I'm trying. I, hey, I was nice and calm there. That's enough. All right. I said, now we're going to begin this, this study of postmodernism on why oneness people uh, do not see in Father, Son, and Spirit a trinity. And why the Bible never uses the word Trinity. And I said, let's begin this. And let's see if you can follow along. That even though you're Trinitarian, I would like for you to see the road to being oneness. 
And here's how it would happen. You would begin with this grid and you would have to say to yourself, I will not let centuries of theological dogma dictate what I believe. I said it very calmly. said it very nicely. said it very... Well, I mean... Uh, anyway, a lot calmer than I am tonight. I said the Hebraic starting point is always... I had at least 30 students, at least 30 students that asked me, why is it you come to different conclusions, Reverend? I mean, you were a somebody of God. You were baptized. You were rebaptized. You've had uh, a degree in language. You, you're working on your PhD at a Pentecostal research center in England. And we know those people. So there was no, there was no mud throwing. How many are glad when you don't have to throw mud? Or have get mud on you. No, no, no. I've never been a mud thrower. I've never been one to say, okay, this is cast dispersions on them. That, that may be the way others do. Uh, that may be the way the enemy does, but we don't have to respond that way. How many knows truth is truth? And you can stand for it regardless. And I said, if you will listen, you're going to understand why I said I must be baptized in Jesus' name. I must find a church. Now, I had never been to a United Pentecostal church at that time. So it wasn't about that, although I'm very proud to be United Pentecostal. But uh, I said, there are hundreds of oneness groups. This is not about a denomination. It's not about one group. It's not about one college. It's not about New York handing it down from headquarters and saying, okay, everybody believe this. No, no, this is a revival, folks. You're going to have to deal with it. We're talking about a revival that is stirring in this world. It's gotten a hold of people and they're not backing down. They're not backing down. They're not, they're not going to get a big round table and get Arthur and everybody. No, no, no. They're just not backing. They're just moving on. So you have to begin with this starting point. And that's the starting point of the Old Testament. Shema Yisrael Adonaiya Eloheinu Adonaiya Echad. You begin in the Old Testament. You must get the dusty cobwebs of 300 years of theological creeds out of your mind and realize that the Bible is to be read, if you're going to understand it the way one person does, it is to be read as a Bible, not as a book waiting on a creed. To explain it. So I said, how many of you understand that? Alright, well then let's just pretend there's no Trinity. Just for a minute, that's hard, but let's try it. Let's pretend. And let's just take the Scriptures and let's see how a Scripture would read them. So I said, let's begin. And these are the very ones. These were prepared, not for here, but for the seminary. And so I said, first of all, the New Testament understood the Old Testament grid would not come up with a trinity. The word is never used there. Obviously, that's something that has developed later. And if you believe in doctrinal development, well, then you believe in that. And, and that would be your grid. I'm talking about a oneness grid. The oneness grid is going to read, for example, that the Father dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Is referring not to a two-person trinity, but that's referring to, in fact, the Father dwells in Him. doesn't say the second person dwells there. It says the Father dwells in Him and that He does the works. Now, why would it talk like that if there were a trinity and there were multiple persons and they were equal, co-equal, divine persons? It would only speak this way if it were, in fact, trying to reveal to us not a trinity. Now, you've got to think like a oneness person. Everybody say, praise the Lord. But it is trying to reveal to us that the man that came as Christ was not just a man. He was God. He was God Himself. Perfect man and perfect God. That's exactly who He was. Let's praise Him one more time. Yes, 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 yes. 
I can of mine own self do nothing. I seek not my own will. So when one of people read these scriptures, they see here a surrendered perfect humanity. They see here God, His Word, being expressed. Does not the will of humanity like Adam did. Adam just said, well, give me the fruit. But not this man. So we move on. So if you begin with Shema Yisrael, and you begin with the grid of Hebrews, the Hebrews, and you begin with the Old Testament, and I said, I'm going to contend that hermeneutically, it's impossible to suggest that I must now begin with Nicaea when no one in the New Testament times had ever heard of Nicaea. So therefore, give me a little slack. And if you think I'm a little radical, let's look at a couple of scriptures and see if you could follow along. And I saw they were some of them were kind of slouched back. And then, I mean, that classroom, they, they set up and they were taking notes. And, and suddenly they were, I mean, it was the presence of God was in there. So I said, let's look at these scriptures through a oneness grid. God was in Christ. And we say, God. God was in Christ, not the second person, not a part of God, but God himself was in Christ and he was reconciling the world unto himself, not unto the Trinity, not unto a person of the Trinity, not as though the himself was a multiple something. No, 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 but God himself was, was in fact reconciling with Christ, being in Christ, he was reconciling the world unto himself. So without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, not the Godhead, but great is the mystery of godliness. God Himself. Let me say God Himself. So, it was not just a part of God or a second person that Scripture is referring to or an equally divine person. I said, so when oneness people look at Scripture through the Old Testament, they find no reason to suppose that an unrevealed, heretofore unrevealed Trinity has suddenly been revealed. And I said, it was a very sleepless night the night I woke and knew that I had lost the doctrine of the Trinity that it could not be found and folks here of course is the important part how many knows that anybody could reject any doctrine in and of themselves the only reason to be rejecting anything is if it's not in the word of God we stand on what thus saith the word of the Lord. And it was not in there. Someone said, how were you baptized? That mattered. And so I had to respond to that. How many are thankful for an hour when truth is marching forward? He is not a part. He is the fullness of the Godhead. For in Him dwelleth, come on, all the fullness of the Godhead. Let's go forward, come on. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. And I said, here we see another scripture that keeps us from running to Nicaea. We have the word pleroma, which means the totality. And we can debate all day long about Nicaea and understanding of totality. But if you didn't have Nicaea, and you were only looking at this scripture, you would have to surely at least pause to think that in the body, in bodily form, the entire Godhead... I said, that does not lend itself to Nicaea. The entire Godhead was in Him. For in Him dwelleth all. I said, it's a double reference. All of the totality. He didn't have to say it, but He repeated it. All of the totality. 
And I said, and I want to be very clear of something else, that when we speak of his deity, we are not suggesting that in some way he was not truly human. For God's word or son became flesh. For in the beginning was the word and the word was... Are you still with me? For in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And we're going to close with that. But Jesus Christ our Lord was made of the seed of David. So his true humanity precludes the possibility that Jesus was a phantom or had some kind of flesh that was not truly human but we might say divine it precludes that possibility he came from the seed or genamenu in the Greek which is if it's coming up there it is which means there are two Greek words there the great big long one and the little short one ek so this is the word for gen gen genesis or the birth of something that's a genamenu ek to come in existence from So Jesus came into existence according to his flesh right out of the seed of David. Does everyone believe that? Romans 1, 3. So from David's seed or from human... Now folks, I don't know about you, but I could run aisles about truth every day of my life. But when I hear that God took on human flesh and came into this world... It does something to me. It stirs me up. Here I was lost and undone, but to take care of my sin, He took on human form. He didn't look like a man. He was a man. He took on the form of true humanity. Hebrews 2.14 says, Jesus, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself took part of the same. And I mentioned to them that it would be troubling to a oneness person to say, well, the Father did that. I have three sons and I, I would gladly give my own life instead of my son having to do so. It would only be natural that I would. I said this would be strange indeed if only one person of a co-equal was co-equal about one of them dying. So we're, we're troubled here with co-equality. I said, but don't look at co-equality through the grid. Is everybody okay? Through the grid of some distant... And one of them said, now, yes, but Reverend, you, are you going to jump right over Nicaea? Are you going to forget about 2,000 years of church history? I said, no, no, I, I can't forget about it. But if, but if I can... I'm going to keep it from affecting my heart. Because I said, you start somewhere in church history and you're going to find something that you don't agree with. So if you go back far enough, if you get clear to Nicaea, which is probably a a, a real good place to start, would be right around Nicaea. If you want to go a little further back, that's okay too. But what I'm telling you is no council is dictating my heart. My heart is an allegiance to the book. And I love the book. And the book says repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name. In the name. In the name. That's what the book says. Don't let Nicaea captivate your mind. (laughs) For as much then as the children are partakers... 
Jesus was fully human. He was a partaker. Kinoneo, or to share in. He shared in humanity. Or likewise, I'm taking the verse apart. Paraplesios is a long adverb. In exactly the same way that I was a man, Jesus was a man. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, no wonder, young people, no wonder something just wanted to burst out of us. I wonder if we could... Oh, I just wish we could burst into... Oh, how I love Him. Hallelujah. He took part, or metesken in the Greek, to participate with. He came right down to us. The God of heaven. We're talking about the God Yahweh. Shema Yisrael has come down to us. <laughs> See, um, uh, I know what it is. I, I wanted to do this the first time, and I couldn't, so... It was the same, tone out tone. You could translate it. Some might fuss with this, and if you want to fuss about it, let's just do it another time. But the tone out tone could be translated the identical flesh. Not a different flesh. First Corinthians 15 tells us there's just one kind of flesh of men. So he was human exactly as all men are human except without sin. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to make him like unto his brethren. Katapanta, in all things or in every single respect. There's no allowance here. There's no qualifying this. In every single respect. You said, well, you qualified it that he wasn't sin. No, no. Adam was created fully human and had never sinned. He chose to sin. Jesus chose not to sin. When the devil said, come on, turn it into, into bread, Jesus chose not to sin. Oh, somebody ought to be praising God, my goodness. Oh, yes, yes, yes. All right, all right, all right. So it's very much like this, this song. And I shared this song with them, and they all knew it, by the way. Don't you find that interesting? And I didn't sing it, of course, but I, I, uh, I showed it to them. Down from His glory, ever-living story, our God and Savior came. Jesus was His name. I said, now if you're looking at, at that through the Shema Yisrael, you're looking at Jesus as being the one and only God. What condescension bringing us redemption that in the dead of night not one faint hope in sight. God, gracious, tender, laid aside His splendor, stooping to woo to win to save my soul. And you say, Amen. Now, we then went to another class. That was, seemed like a long class, didn't it? Then we went to this class where we looked at uh, biblical theology. And I made the case that it would be inappropriate to suggest that Nicaea is the basis of biblical theology when it was 300 years after the Bible. Now, if you want to suggest that the Bible teaches Nicaean theology, that, that, would, that could be uh, argued. Someone might want to argue that, but... You couldn't argue that it was the grid by which you had to interpret the Bible. So we, I, I discussed that there were several troubling things to me about philosophical approaches to the Bible. For example, when you use Greek interpretive uh, speculation, such as hypotheses and usia, when I said, now I want to I be honest with you. When I was a Trinitarian, I was always troubled by this. That... Uh, 
Nicaea tried to say that Hupostases and Usia were... Uh, is everybody still here? All right. Glory, glory, glory. I've only got a few moments here. I'm t- uh, these two words in the Greek mean exactly the same thing. So they said, though, that... Are you staying with me? Isaiah tried to say that there were three persons, Hupostases, but there was just one Usia, one being. And I said, you can't do that. Now you may say, well, we did it. Yes, but you need to rethink it. Because when you say a person is not a being, what have you just said? You are telling me there are three persons and they're hypotheses and you're using Greek words and you think if you use a Greek word, you suddenly made a statement. You've made a nonsense statement because a person is a being. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. You see, God is the, the Usia is the substance and so forth. And I said, I know, I know, I know. But I said, but, but why don't we get rid of that notion? Why do we have to spread Nicaea all over the place? Why do we have to use Nicaea? Every time you, you think everybody in the world's going to just run to Nicaea. They're believing their Bibles. You want to know why there's a one God message out there? They're not trying to run to some dusty council somewhere. They're running to an altar. They're getting a hold of it. Yes, yes, yes. Let's go, let's go, let's pass this. Go on, let's go a few more. So now we're going to Jude 25. And so I said, if you looked at this, let's look at three scriptures and we're, we're wrapping it up. Let's look at three scriptures. To the only wise God, our Savior. Now you'd have to admit, if you did not use Nicaea as the grid, you'd have to say that even in your heart, and you're a staunch Trinitarian, everybody in this room, you wouldn't even consider being oneness. You wouldn't even consider being baptized in Jesus' name. Maybe. But if you read that, the only wise God, our Savior, wouldn't you think that the Savior who died on the cross was the only wise God? The glory and dominion and power both now and forever. That there was an unshared deity. There was no such thing as an usia that was not a, a persons that were not separate beings. And if the person of God is the usia, then there could only be one person. And Jesus claimed to be that person, looking for that blessed hope. We looked at these. Very, these are the very scriptures. This is the very slide looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God. And I said, now, you all have been into studying the Greek here and I think you should take a look at the, at the two megalutheu. That is the, 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 the little Greek word at the beginning there. It says that Jesus is the great God and our Savior. The great God. Let me say the great God. The great God. Now, when he's the great God, you can't say, well, he's the great God. Well, are there more? No, no. He's the president. Which was there another? No, no. He's the president. The the is what you use in any language, certainly Greek, to distinguish the, the particular definite thing you're talking about. And so they said, well, there's some debate about that because, you know, the Bible, we're not sure. And I said, no, 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 I'm absolutely sure. I'm absolutely sure that anybody that thinks they can take away from this book, it'll all work itself out. But this Bible said, I'm looking for that blessed hope. Yes, yes, yes. In the beginning. We're going to the end now. In the beginning was the Word. I said, now here's where it really counts. You have to use the Hebraic interpretive method or you cannot understand this verse. And I know that ever all of you in this room think that when how could you be with God and be God at the same time? So there must be two there at least. Somebody's with somebody. But I said, my word is with me and you don't see two here. So let's begin this. In the beginning was the word 
and the word was with God, I said, if you use the Nicene grid, you cannot comprehend the scripture. In the beginning, with how many love this Bible today? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the word. Everyone say the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And I said, now, of course, you notice that the choice of the word proston instead of para is interesting because pros is far less likely to mean spatial relationship. Everybody, everybody still with me? Come on, we're just talking a little bit. We're, we're almost wrapping it down. Let's clap our hands to the Lord one more time. Come on, I need about two minutes. So, yes, yes, yes. So, you're going to notice that, that they used para. They did not use para. That would be the most common spatial relationship and, and we could talk about this. And so if you, if you doubt that, will anybody doubt that? Can we talk about Yeah, that we would get that. Okay. So he uses pros. Now, if you look at Hebrews 2, if you happen to be using a King James, nobody in that room was. So I said, what's the most common one? There was not a common translation in that room. There were so many translations, you could not even make sense of the readings. So I said, well, how many of you have your Greek Bibles? That would help. Let's start with that because some of you wouldn't. Some of you you wanted actual fact, fact, fact right on the line. So let's get the Greek and let's see. Can we agree on the Greek underneath this? Does it say prostantion? And they said yes, it does. It does. So there's nobody here that's got a Bible that thinks we need to change it. Everyone's got that. Okay, we're not going to change it to something else. Then this same expression is used in Hebrews, and it says that all in all things pertaining to God. That's very good way to translate that because this sense of is exactly the way you would think of your word being with someone not that my word is spatially with me you might say it's in my vocal cords but that's not of course the meaning but in fact my word pertains to me so the word is with me in, in that it is mine, that it is, it is what I am, it is the expression of myself. It is the Lagos. In the beginning was the Lagos, and, the, and in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And I said, now here's the question that we must answer in this room if we're going to understand this verse in a Old Testament grid. How could you be with God and be God at the same time? By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them by the breath of His mouth. The Father's word is not a separate person from Himself and the Father's spirit is not a separate person from Himself any more than mine. Spirit and my word are separate from me. They are in fact what makes me what I am. Without my word, I couldn't even be here today. I'm here expressing myself via words. In fact, almost all of my expressions, I, I admit there are other expressions, many of them, uh, but, but nothing as common as the word that I speak. But let's look at it through Nicaea. You have an untenable solution. Because if you change the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, meaning the word was in the Trinity, or was with the Trinity, then Jesus would have to be the Trinity. Because then it would read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was in the Trinity, and the word was the Trinity. So if you believe the word was the Trinity, we don't have a problem here. If you believe Jesus was Father, Son, and Spirit, then that's oneness. We've settled the issue. They said, well, no, no, no. No, 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 no. I said, I didn't think so. So let's go to the next one. And they said, uh, well, it must mean Father, like it does in 1 John 1, 12. I said, that's exactly right. That eternal life that was with the Father. So if it means Father, then in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the Father, and the Word was the Father. I said, now, you have only one solution. And you need to really think about it. Because your only solution seems to be 
to change the meaning of God right in the middle of this verse. And you probably don't want to do that. Let's stand together, shall we? Anybody feel the presence of the Lord? So the Old Testament is the truth. The New Testament is the truth. But philosophical speculation is an error. Before me there was no God formed. Neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me there is no Savior. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. They said, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said, have I been so long time with you, Philip? And yet hast thou not known me? He that hath seen the Father. And folks, this was the longest. We had the longest conversation of this. I wish we had time to talk about that. They said, wait, wait, wait. Now, Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. I said, this is what it says. You probably want to say that means when you've seen me, you've seen my son. But I said, oh, let's think that through. I don't think that'll work. Oh, have I been so long time? I, 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 have I been so long time? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Jesus unraveled the mystery. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> before Abraham was. Let's give him praise all over this building. Before Abraham was. Shema Yisrael. Yes, 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 yes. Let's give the Lord and Brother Fish a great big hand. Did you enjoy that? Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Brother French. That reminded me of a little story. A K-5 teacher passed out papers and had all the children to just draw a picture of anything you want to draw a picture of. Just just draw anything you want to draw. And the children were drawing pictures and, and she walked around the room and someone was drawing pictures of dogs and houses and flowers. And one little girl, she was drawing something and the teacher looked over her shoulder and said, Honey, well, what are you drawing? She said, I'm drawing a picture of God. Oh, she said, Honey, nobody knows what God looks like. She said, they will in just a minute. If you don't know what God is like, you ought to know now. If you don't know something about the oneness of the Godhead, you should know it now after hearing Brother Fresh. Haven't we had a great time this week? Praise God.